I think just for context's sake, I'm going to go back to chapter 5, verse 19, and I'm going to read verse 19 to 21 of chapter 5, and then we'll get into chapter 6. It says in verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Now that's a key thought in my message today. That's supposed to be a positive thing. That's supposed to be a good thing. That's supposed to be something that makes us better, not worse. Amen? And so the question we're going to be answering here in chapter 6 is in relation to this particular statement here. And so it goes on to say in verse 21, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, chapter 6, verse 1, question is, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this passage of Scripture. Lord, we're so grateful that you teach us what we need to understand about this new Christian life. I pray, Lord, you would help this message to do a good work in us. Lord, to help us to understand the place of grace in our life and how that relates to sin. I pray, Lord, you would bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So, that question, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So we know that grace is greater than sin. Grace is more powerful than sin. Amen. That means it doesn't matter how much sin gets thrown at it, grace always has the ability to overcome the sin. Amen. Now, what will happen many times, and this is what has happened in many movements is, where the thought is, is grace then a license to sin? So if, if when I sin, the grace of God takes effect, and now grace of God gets exemplified because of the sin in my life, then isn't my sin just an avenue for God to glorify himself in his grace? 
Now, that is a mentality today within a lot of, it's not going to affect our salvation, and so it's okay to sin. The other one is, what many of you have heard this for, it's called legalism. Except you've probably heard the legalism in the context that as soon as you've got a holiness standard, somehow you're a legalist. <laughs> as soon as you require maybe we ought not do some things or do some other things, that's a legalist. But that's not what a legalist is. Legalism is required keeping of the law or personal change in order to be saved. So legalism is requiring something in order to keep the law to be saved. That's adding works to salvation. That's legalism, all right? Now, today, we have that, ter that term thrown around quite a bit by those in, in, uh, in more of the other camp where, hey, let's not be so hard on all the things of this world. I mean, we've got to use it. We're in this world and so forth. And we know we're living by grace, by the way, <laughs> you know? So why do we need all these standards? Why do we need to be careful of all these things? Well, we know there's a reason for that. I'm not teaching on that today, but there's a reason why you ought to have holiness standards, and that's because you're weak, and you need to protect yourself, and you need to protect your family. We need to protect our churches. We need to protect people that we don't even know. Rest appropriately. We act appropriately. We don't go places that's going to affect us in a detrimental way. And so what we do as families is we, we put standards in place that in no way is legalism because <laughs> you still believe in... So these two positions, grace is greater than my sin, so it doesn't matter that I've not been saved and uh, I got to do good things in order to go to heaven. Those are the two positions. Sin, and it does abound much more than sin does that mean that I get to continue? That's the thing. Well, I'll give you a couple points to start off with here. The first one is to continue in sin. The Bible says, God forbid, God forbid. Uh, 1 John 2, 1 says this, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. So in 1 John, he's writing these things that I'm, I'm trying to help you not to sin. So the first position we need to have is, I don't want sin in my life. I want to stop sinning if I'm sinning. And if I'm sinning, I want to get right, confess that, so I won't have sin in my life. I don't want to walk in sin. Amen? That ought to be a desire of our heart. In fact, in 1 John chapter 5, it says, We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean uh, if I'm born of God, I'll never sin again? That's not what that means. In fact, that the verb tense of that sinneth not, it's talking about a contemporous action. It's talking about a continual action. There's not a child of God here that can get away with a continual lifestyle of sinning. Because there's two things that are, are going to get in your way. Number one is, you've got a heavenly father that is a better father than you are. <laughs> and when he sees his child is going in a wrong direction, he chastises him. And that's why the Bible says he will chasten those that he loves. And so you won't be able to get away with continual lifestyle of sin. He's going to correct you. And the other aspect of this is that you have inside of you the Holy Spirit of God 
and that Holy Spirit of God is going gonna, is gonna to convict the fire out of you. Yeah. Remember what it was like before you were saved? The things that you did didn't even bother you. It's just normal. But after you were born again, now everything bothers, bothers me. The psalmist said to the Lord, you chasten me all day long. <laughs> And that's the way it is with the child of God. You just don't get away with sin because it's no longer fun to you. You will constantly be uh, convicted. You will constantly be corrected. So if you're living a life now in constant sin where you don't feel convicted and you're not being corrected, then it's because you're not born again. All right? So that's what that means. Whosoever is born of God sinneth not. Because you just won't get away with that. Amen? And by the way, if you're a child of God, something has changed inside of you. And you know what you don't want? You don't want to sin. If I were to ask everybody in this room, do you want to sin? And if you're truly a child of God, you say, no, I wish I could turn that switch off. But you know you battle, you wrestle. Amen. So the grace of God is not there to give us this idea that somehow we should continue in sin because grace is somehow greater and is, you're going to be forgiven anyways and da-di-da-di-da and so we'll just continue on. No, no, because that's just not possible for the child of God. I've given the example before how that, you know, when you were lost, you were like a pig and the pig loves the mud. It doesn't matter what you do with that pig, you can pull it out of the mud, you can go give it a bath and put perfume on it. You open up the door, it runs back out and jumps into the mud. That's what we were before we were saved. We were pigs. But after you're born again, your nature has changed. Something is different about you. You're a new creature in Christ. And so now you've become like a sheep. Now, sheep are stupid. <laughs> Do you get that? You ever seen those, uh, those videos where the sheep jumps in the trench and the guy's pulling them out and he pulls them out of the trench and it jumps and jumps back in again? <laughs> <clears throat> but the thing is, when the sheep hits that trench or sheep hits that mud, it immediately wants to get out. And it knew it was stupid getting into it in the first place, and then it gets out and it goes back in again. But the one thing about the sheep is it doesn't like staying in the mud. It falls in, it jumps out. And then it, need to get this off. Rub it off, right? And so that's a difference between the lost person and the saved person. So you will sin. But you don't want to sin because something has changed inside of you as a born-again Christian. So that's the first thing I want you to see is believers not to continue in sin. The second thing is a believer has an advocate when they do sin. And you see that in the, la the second part of the verse there in 1 John 2, 1. My little children, these things are right into you that you sin not. And if... So he's not saying I'm telling you, oh, well, you'll when you sin... If you sin. In other words, I don't want you to sin. In other words, you shouldn't want to sin. And you should try not to sin in your life. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Yes. Amen. So in other words, he's always standing in your place before the Father now. As a child of God, you have him representing you for every wrong that you've ever done. Now, it doesn't make you innocent. You did sin, you did make a choice, but the Lord took upon him the penalty. So now when the Father looks at you, even though the devil will be accusing because that's what he does, 
He just accuses the brethren. So he goes to the father and says, hey, that pretty rotten church member down there. This is what they did this week. And now they're in church sitting there and so forth. And the father will turn his attention and you'd think he'd be looking for that church member, but standing in the way of that church member and himself is his son. And so he looks at his son and he says, oh, that church member looks pretty good. So the accusations of Satan have no impact on the father. Now, if they did, and there was truth to it, and Jesus Christ was not between you and him. Well, the wages of sin is death. That's why I say, if all of your sin was not for 2,000 years ago on that cross, if the minutest of sin is still left unpaid, and you meet God with the very smallest of the things that you would call sin in your life, you would have to go to hell forever for it. The smallest of sin. We think, oh no, only the big ones. No, no. It's not the big ones that would worry me. It'd be the ones that are so small, I don't even regard it as a sin. If that was enough, the Father would see it, you would go to hell forever. Jesus Christ is an advocate. That means he is in between you and the Father And whenever the father looks at you, he sees it through the lens of his son and he sees the record of his son and he says, you are perfect. The third thing is, oh, by the way, 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we can for sins, even though positionally he looks at you as perfect, there's still a reason why he wants you to confess your sins and get that cleansed up. See, God looks at that as, as, a, as a pretty rotten thing. <laughs> if you as a believer are going to make... It says this. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the... And fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses... How much sorer punishment? Suppose ye... Shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. So in other words, willful sin will bring consequence. And it goes on to say there that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's not talking about the lost. It's talking about the saved. So in other words, if we continue in sin willfully, we say, I like this sin. I'm not going to give it up. I know it convicts me. And I know the Lord has already probably taken things away from me. And I've lost a lot because of the sin. But I'm going to continue on in it. He looks at you and says, you are doing despite unto the spirit of grace. (laughs) You're wiping your feet on the face of the son of God. You're counting the blood of the covenant an unholy thing in my eyes. Folks, you need to remember in the scriptures, even with born-again believers, there was a time where God would take them. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 talks about those that partook of the the Lord's Supper unworthily. They didn't discern the Lord's body. They they were selfish. They They were heretics. They came into the house of God and partook of the Lord's Supper with God's people and they had no thought of whether 
uh, of what it is that was really going on there. They didn't even care. And the Bible says that, that many among you sleep. Some of you are sick and weak because you partook unworthily. So in other words, the Lord said right there, there's people that have already been taken home to the Lord because you were not doing right. You willfully disrespected the Son of God. That's pretty powerful. <laughs> now, I'm, what I'm trying to do is get this thought in us that just because we live in a time where the grace of God is greater than your sin does not mean that in any way you should say, well, then it's okay for me to sin a little bit. Because there is consequence. Maybe not eternal consequence, but there is consequence. And that should be enough, you know. Not only that, but our relationship with God is constant. We know that, that when he becomes my father, by the way, we're not all the children of God on this planet. The children of God are those that are born again. So just because you're religious doesn't make you a child of God. Just because you're born on this planet does not make you a child of God. What makes you a child of God, if you've had the new birth, you've been regenerated. And what happens there is you become a part of a relationship with God where now he is your father, our father which art in heaven. Just like you're born down here and your dad is your dad. And it doesn't matter what happens. You can be separated by 2,000 miles. Uh, whatever has happened, they will still be your dad no matter what happens. Amen? So our relationship with God is constant. But our fellowship is hindered when we willfully sin. There's a difference between relationship and fellowship. <laughs> in other words, you could, in this church, you could become a church member. And that is your relationship with the body. You're saying, I'm a member of one another. But you know what? You could hurt the fellowship of that membership. Maybe it doesn't change your membership. But it affects your fellowship. When a child rebels against its father or mother, no matter what they do, that will always be your father or mother. But you will hurt your fellowship. So when a child goes rebellious, they leave, and you don't have fellowship with them. Now, if you try to fellowship with a rebellious child, you're enabling that child to continue in their rebellion. But that fellowship is broken at that point. And so that's not good. That affects things. 1 John 1.3, it says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. This then is the message that we have heard of Him and declare unto you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So we know this, that if we have willful sin in our life, you can talk religious, you can say, God, God, God. Everybody can think you're the most religious person in town, but you have no fellowship with God. And that's a serious thing to God. 
And I'll tell you why that's important for you to fellowship. Because it says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. So the moment you break off fellowship with the Father because of willful sin, guess what? All of your sins continue to dwell in your life. Now, the Bible goes on to say, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. So we do have sin. (laughs) But that doesn't mean we're living in willful sin. So what it's saying is this. If you live in willful sin, the process of cleansing your life has stopped. So if you're living in an immoral relationship, you're immoral before marriage, you're an adulterer, whatever it may be, you have stopped the blood of Christ working in your life, and you cannot become what God wants you to be. But the Bible tells us that if we walk in the light, We say, Lord, I want to practically, one foot in front of the other, I want to obey what you show me in your word, because thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If that's what we desire, he says, we have fellowship one with another. Doesn't mean you're without sin. (laughs) You've got sin that needs to be dealt with, but you're not living in a constant state of willful sin where you know you're doing wrong and you're doing it anyways. That's the difference. All of us have sin. All of us are in a process of cleansing and it's called progressive sanctification and it's going to be that way till Jesus Christ comes again. But what we have to be careful of is this idea of continuing in sin that grace may abound. Oh, well, the Lord will forgive me. And then I go and do it again. Oh, the Lord will forgive me. And I almost do it with this idea that the Lord will forgive me. (laughs) Do you understand that perhaps you're not being forgiven because you're not repentant? And you're actually walking in that sin? (laughs) And your fellowship is broken? Well, you understand, I go to church. Well, I wish going to church alone would make us right with God. We know very clearly that there's people that have come to church that are not right with God, and they stay not right with God. Going to church don't make you right with God. You know what makes you right with God? When you see your sin for what it is. And you get out of your mind that I'm just going to continue in sin. That grace may abound. That license idea. (laughs) You know where I come from? The churches don't want to submit to the idea of a a no-so salvation. Eternal security. Because they say if we teach our people that, then they're just going to continue sinning. So in other words, what they're saying is this that we're going to lose our power to scare our people to do right if we teach them that salvation is a one-time event and you go on from there. So I'm going, to, I'm going to taint the doctrine of salvation so I can try to control the people from sinning. <laughs> Folks, one thing I know is this. 
If you truly want to overcome the sin in your life, you have to start with knowing you're saved. This whole thing about if you know you're saved, then you're going to continue in sin. I have met far more people in false doctrine of losing your salvation that were so discouraged they actually gave up on the Christian life because they knew there was no way, there was no way they were going to overcome that sin. There's no way they were going to be perfect enough to go to heaven. Or they'd live day after day not knowing how much is going to send me to hell. And when you ask him, you say, you know for sure you're going to heaven? Well, I guess we'll find out. We'll find out when we meet God. Do you understand the stress that, that, that'll put on you? And in fact, if you were to be honest about yourself, it would probably drive you to, to craziness. Unless you, you're very good at deceiving yourself. I'm not so bad. <laughs> A lot of people are like that. Well, I'm not so bad. You know, maybe I'm, I'm doing good enough and I'm trying to maintain, you know, not, not sinning as much. And You're deceived, man. You are bad. <laughs> you are bad enough to go to hell. If, if, you were, if you had this much sin in you, you're bad enough to go to hell. You, you ought to be losing your mind if you think that somehow you could lose your salvation. I would actually go crazy because I know I would lose it. And then according to scripture, I know I'd never be able to be saved again. If salvation is not no-so, there is no salvation. No salvation. Like I said, if God would see the smallest of your sins, if he just saw a little one peeping out when he saw you, when you meet him one day, he'd have to say, oh, wages of sin is death. But God, that's not a big one. <laughs> that's not a big sin. So when is big and little sin going to make a difference as far as hell is concerned? What did Adam do? What did Eve do? People do worse than Eve every day. Don't eat of that, the fruit of that tree. Ever, your parents ever tell you, don't do that, and you went and did it? You just duplicated what Eve did, and you do that every day. And somehow we look at Adam and Eve, they're so wicked and bad, and they're so much worse than us. No, they're not. They are just like you. And if that small sin could have brought a curse upon every one of their children to this day, how in the world do you think you're going to escape that? Salvation has to be free. It has to be complete. And it has to be where Jesus Christ, the righteous, it's his record that we're going to heaven on. If you're going to try to meet God on your record, well, I haven't been so bad. Your record. <laughs> wow. And you can still smile. You can still sleep at night. I give you credit for how you've deceived yourself. Because if that were my life, I'd want to be deceived too. Because at least I'd be able to enjoy a little time down here before I go to the lake of fire. A no-so salvation. <laughs> is the only way that you're going to live right. Is the only way. Yeah. Or you become so discouraged you will quit. A no-so salvation gives me the time in my life to be progressively sanctified till Jesus comes. 
And I don't have to look at all those sins that I'm dealing with throughout my life as something that's going to send me to hell or not. They're already paid for in Christ. If any man sin, we have an advocate, Father Jesus Christ, the righteous. And we can go on. But you know what that produces in our heart? It produces love. Love for him. And what does that do? It causes us to say, Lord, I want it. I want to be what you want me to be. Amen. It's not like you want to go and sin. I hope that's not the case. You know, our sin, it'll, it'll affect fellowship with God, but it'll also, it'll hurt the cause of Christ. So there's a reason why we don't want sin in our life. I'll give you a couple of examples here in Titus uh, chapter 2. It says this in verse 4, that talking about elderly ladies, it says that they may teach the younger women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to discreet, chaste, Keepers at home. Now that's against the society, isn't it? Keepers at home? A guard at home? Why do we need a guard at home for crying out loud? Well, there must be something to guard. Well, what are we guarding at home? These little ones. So the ladies of the church are supposed to teach the younger ladies to love your own husbands, to obey them, and to become a keeper at home. Now that's not popular today. Preacher, you're done. That doesn't fit our society. Well, society's wrong. Bible's right. Teaches them to be good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. So, when I don't want to be what God wants me to be, I don't want to be chaste. I don't want to be discreet. I don't want to keep her at home. I don't want to be good. I don't want to be obedient to my husband. <laughs> the Bible says that you give occasion in this world for the word of God to become blasphemed. Shall we continue and sin? Grace may abound. <laughs> well, God will forgive me, sure, but there's more to it than that, isn't it? There's a fip issue, and there's also a testimony issue where the cause of Christ is going to be attacked through your sin. And how many of us has not heard people like that? Well, I go to church, but all them Christians are hypocrites. <laughs> hypocrites are pretenders. They come to church putting on one mask. Monday, they take their mask and they're exactly who they are. It's true. <laughs> Even Jesus had something to say about that. He says, I would rather that you were cold or hot because I are lukewarm, I will spew thee out of my mouth. That's what I tell people that give me that argument. I say, Jesus hates it far more than you. He said he would vomit them out of his mouth. Hypocrites. 1 Timothy 6.1 says this, Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. So now, not only is my relationship at home able to be used by Satan to blaspheme the word of God, also my place on the job site. It's how I treat my boss. How I act as I'm working. So shall I continue in grace may abound? Oh, I'll be forgiven. 
Well, sure, you'll be forgiven. He'll always forgive you if you're sincerely wanting to confess your sin. And by the way, when it says if we confess our sins, it's not just saying I'll admit that it's not right. <laughs> Confession has a promise to it. It's a repentance. Confessing is this, Lord, I was wrong doing this. This sin is against you and your holiness. And I am committing to forsake this. Could you please forgive me? And the Bible says he will forgive you and that he will cleanse you. Now understand, it's not always that easy where it's just gone. <laughs> Still battling in your heart. But he says if you sincerely confess it, that I will forgive it and it will be cleansed. It'll be gone. Now that's a good thing. <laughs> so obviously he wants a sin gone. <laughs> he doesn't want us to just look at sin and say, if we just say sorry, oh, I'm sorry, then we go at it again. Well, he's, still, he's, not, he's not interested in simply this revolving door of you sinning and forgiving and sinning and forgiving. His whole purpose in your life is to remove sin from you. And if that's not what you want, then you're not on the same plan as he is. But he's not into this thing where you just sin and forgive and sin and forgive and continuing on like that. Now understand, sometimes addictions, there's problems that need, people need help. <laughs> but if you're a true child of God, you will get it. You will seek it. You will desire it. You will want it. I want to be free, God. You will weep over it. You'll be broken over it. Amen? Never the attitude, I'll continue in sin, that grace may abound. Romans 2.23 says, Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles, through you. So basically, well, I'm pretty good. <laughs> no, you're not. He says, you're, what happens when you think you're pretty good, you start looking at everybody else as less than you. Then God looks at you and says, what are you doing? <laughs> I understand the aspect of helping you that's in sin. <laughs> and if you've ever been in sin and you've wrestled through addictions or anything like that, then you would know better than anybody the patience and help that needs to be given to that person. But for us to say, oh, well, this is what we ought to be. What's wrong with you? And judging that person, he says, you're blasphemy in the name of God. Because we need to have patience with people. Now I know there comes a line to that when people don't necessarily want to be free from the sin. They don't want to admit they're doing wrong. I understand that. But whenever somebody is willing to go forward and he should be there to help them. Knowing that we ourselves could be in the exact same position. With meekness and fear, the Bible says. So what are keys to living victoriously over sin? The first thing is this. The key is to know and understand your position in Christ. Verse 2, it says, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So really, in God's mind, he's saying, if you're a child of God, you are dead to sin. Now, what does that mean? Well, the word dead means dead. 
Now, I realize in our minds sometimes we're not so dead to sin. But positionally, the Bible says you are dead to sin. You're not in position you were before you were saved. When, when you receive Christ as your Savior, your sin's penalty was paid in full. When you receive Christ as your Savior, sin's power was broken in full. If you've received Christ as your Savior, sin's presence will be removed in full. That's a future thing. Penalty has been paid. Power has been broken. Presence will be removed. <laughs> right now, we're concerned about this one. Power. Power. See, what we do is we give sin too much power in our minds. The Bible says, how shall we, dead to sin, live any longer therein? <laughs> so we are actually dead to sin. It goes on to say, pointing out that we're placed into Christ. In Romans 6, 3, it says, Be not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Now, this is not talking about water baptism. This is talking about a, a, a positional baptism. When you receive Christ, you were placed into him at his death. Now, why is that important? Why is it important that you were placed into Christ at his death. Because you owe a penalty. And that penalty is death. Now, if you were to pay that penalty, you would have to spend an eternity in the lake of fire paying for your sin, eternity after eternity after eternity. Yeah. But if I received Christ, I was placed into Christ's death. So when the father looked at his son, said, oh, price is paid in full, I was in him. See, that's why it's such a bad thing to say you can lose your salvation because it's not about you. It's about how Christ let you down. You were in his death. Now, the thing is, if you were in his death, what happened after that? The burial. What happened after that? The resurrection. You're also in his resurrection. Think about it. You know your position. See, some of us, we think getting saved is just religious decision. It's not. It's a positional decision. It changes you. It puts you into his death. It destroys the penalty. It breaks the power and removes you from the of sin. Those three things, past, present, and future, and that is guaranteed to you if you're born again. But the problem is you still got this stinking mind, and this mind still... Help, the devil still can infiltrate it to help you to think that somehow I can't do this. But that's why the Bible gave us Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So there are no sins that you cannot overcome through Christ because the power has been broken. You are dead to sin. Yes, so you can overcome it. Say, preacher, I've had this addiction. <laughs> you can overcome it. You're dead to sin. So there is no this license attitude about continuing sin that grace may abound. Because you know what? I just need God's grace to continue to deal with my sin as the Lord reveals it, and I will deal with it. Amen. Notice the no is used three times in this passage. 
Romans 6, 3. Know ye not that so many of us who were baptized into Jesus were baptized into his death? No. No. So you got to believe, you got to know this position that you're placed into Christ. Look at verse 6. It says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and henceforth we should not serve sin. So our old man is crucified with Christ. Do I know it? <laughs> knowing this, knowing this. So the first key to overcoming sin is knowing. Knowing your position. The third one is, Romans 6, 9, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him, for in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Look at this next verse. Lies reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So it's like this. If I don't understand that, my, that the power of sin has been broken, then I'll never be able to understand the power of a resurrected life. So people talk about the crucified life. <clears throat> I'm a crucified life, and that's good. <laughs> I am crucified to sin. I'm crucified to this world. But I'll tell you something, it goes beyond the crucifixion. It's not just the crucified life, it's the resurrected. So until we can get ourselves settled on our position before sin, how in the world are we going to settle ourselves practically day by day that we have the power to live a resurrected life? So what's a resurrected life? Well, you think of everything that doesn't have sin, you know? Joy, love, contentment, peace. All those things you can't have if you cannot get over the fact that sin is dead to you. There's got to be a death before the life. There's a crucifixion before the resurrection. So if I can't settle in my life that sin has been crucified, then how am I going to live unto righteousness in his resurrection? That's what it's saying there. So we need to know no, no, no. Know your position. Know you're in Christ. Know that the old man has been crucified. Know that, that you are alive in Jesus Christ. Alive. Amen. Some Christians are just living like they're continued. <laughs> oh, I can hardly wait till Jesus comes. We can get out of this place. Hey, I wish Jesus would come too. But until he does... Let's live the, the resurrected life here. Let's take a little bit of that resurrected position and let it flow through our life dirty world. Let them see that there's life through Christ. Not just the absence of sin, but the presence of life. He's come to give us life, and the Bible says life abundant. Amen? Not this, oh, every day, this trying to get over these sins and the oh, man, we're still on the cross. 
There's no resurrected life in that. The key. You need to understand, when Jesus called up Lazarus from the dead, he says, Lazarus, arise. Lazarus was bound with grave clothes that needed to be removed to experience practical liberty. So, it says in John 11, it says, And when he thus had spoken, when he said, Lazarus, arise, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. So here I am, I'm alive. The voice of Christ, I'm, I'm out of the grave, the, the walls of the tomb, but I still got the clothes on. Now Jesus is only... See, and loose the grave clothes, you will not feel... So what did he say? Loose him. He told the people that were continually going through it, you need someone to help you take the grave clothes off. With me in the resurrection, you're beside me, you're, sit, you're seated down. You're in a chair. Amen. So in other words, the first thing you need to understand if you're born again here today, that you're him You've got the victory of that. You're positionally saved. You know I'm already in heaven. I'm just waiting for this salvation to be complete, but I'm seated in cracking. Walking is always talking about our practical new life. Having put on the new man, which is created after the image of him that created him. We are new creatures. Not a part of Adam's cursed creation. We're new I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So now you're concerned about, I'm seated, but now I need to be walking. From my position of being resurrected with Christ, I need to put that into practical steps in my life. I need to live by the faith of the Son of God. Not by my faith. That's not what it says there. It says you don't live by your faith in, but you live by the faith of. So what he's going to do, I will tell you what to do, son. Just take the next step. Walk. Ephesians talks about walking worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. The vocation is that seat. Walk worthy of it. It doesn't say walk to be seated. You're already seated. You already got the victory. But now you're walking from that victory. Amen? So that's the second thing we need to consider. The third one is this. Standing. Standing is speaking of our boldness in the power of Christ. It's different than walking. It comes from our position in being seated. But the Bible says in Ephesians 6.10, Finally, my brethren, 
Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against the spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Sitting, walking, standing. I'm not standing if I haven't been walking. I'm not walking if I haven't been seated. Are you seated? Well, I sure hope so. Well, you'll be hoping till Jesus comes and you'll never walk till that day. You've got to know your position in Christ. Am I with him or not? Am I seated in that resurrection or not? In fact, that passage says we're already seated with him. It's a past action. When I got saved, I was placed into his death, but I was also in his resurrection. (laughs) I'm seated with him. Now, because I'm seated with him, I'm going to walk after him. And if I'm going to walk after him, I'm going to stand for him. And you want, to, you want to know why Christians aren't standing the way they ought to stand? Is they're not walking the way they ought to walk. And maybe it's that they're not seated the way they ought to be seated. Amen? So let me ask you this. Are you seated? Are you born again? Have you received Christ as your Savior? If you're seated, are you walking after the Scripture? Are you walking in the light of God's word so the blood of his son cleanseth you from all sin? And if you're doing that, are you standing for right? Are you standing for souls? Are you standing for righteousness sake? Are you cowering in the face of your co-workers? Are you cowering in the face of this world? You don't stand up for anything that's only because you're not walking right. Those are the three things we need to consider. Let's bow our heads. Oh, if you're here today without Christ, then you're not seated with him yet. He wants you to be seated with him. He's got a place for you with him. But if you're here today, you'd say, Preacher, I'm not saved. I'm not asking whether you've been brought up in a Christian home. A lot of Christian kids go to hell because they've never truly been saved. They're riding their faith of their mom and dad, and they don't even do that well, but they hide behind the faith of their parents, and they never make it their own. Are you here today? Are you saved? (laughs) Are you born again? It's a preacher... I think that's where my problem is. I don't think I'm saved. I've been living in sin. And you know what? It's not really bothering me that much. And you know what? I'm not really being corrected. Maybe it's because God is not your father yet. When he's your father, then he treats you like a son, like a daughter. 
But if you're here today without Christ, you say, Pastor, I'd like to know how to be saved. Could you pray for me? You just want to slip up your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I'd like to be saved. I'm not exactly sure how to go about this, but I want you to pray for me. Is there one like that? Is there one like that? Christian, are you walking? See, if you're just living in sin, just waiting for God to forgive you for the next time, knowing you're going to go back and continue that cycle of sin, you're not really walking. And if you're not walking in the light, then you're not being purified. You're not being purged. You're not being cleansed in your soul. You're not becoming better and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's something hindering you. And maybe you know today that there is a sin. (laughs) There is something I've allowed the devil to deceive me that I can't overcome. But now I'm going to hold on to my position of being seated. And I'm going to claim the victory over that sin because I am dead unto sin. And I'm going to reckon it so. I'm going to reckon it so. I want to encourage you to make a decision about that today. And perhaps if you're here and you've been walking and you've been trying to do the best you can, can I encourage you to stand? Can I encourage you to take a stand with Christ, with his church, with his cause, with his purpose? Don't hide in the back anymore. 